Can you honestly say that no child suffers for the benefit of your federation? That no child lives in poverty or squalor while those who enjoy abundance look away? All right, welcome back to the General Order One podcast, where we are discussing Star Trek Change New Worlds. Uh, I'm joined by my longtime friend, Ben. Hello. And uh, not Jason today. Jason has other obligations, so he gets a day off. He's he's on, like, the, the night crew of the Enterprise this, this week. Yeah, right. He's working the lower decks today. Yeah. Today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 6, which is entitled Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. The summary of the episode online was, A threat to an idyllic planet reunites Captain Pike with a lost love. To protect her and a scientific holy child from a conspiracy, Pike offers to help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. Dun dun dun. Yes, quite ominous indeed. So, and so before we we start, I'll you know we'll, we'll circle back to the end of what we thought of the episode. But this, you know, I've talked about you know reading the blurb and kind of thinking, what am I in for? Uh, this one didn't inspire a lot of confidence. No, it, it didn't. And the and the the title is kind of weird too. Lift us where suffering can. I, I want we'll to talk about that during the episode because it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So going in, didn't didn't expect much from this one. Uh, I did note that this episode does start with a recap, so I think we talked about that last time. I don't know. I think they all start with a recap. Yeah, but... they do. I, I went back and looked. Yeah, I just hadn't hadn't remembered that they did that. So, all right. Uh, the episode opens with a uh, little Pike doing some voiceover, and he mentions that the Enterprise is in the Majolan system, just doing some routine cartographic surveying. Um, so uh, kind of just a random day on the Enterprise. They're not responding to any major crises or anything like that. But he does we, mention that last time he was here, there was, you know, a crisis, and he hopes it will be quieter this time. Well, he's wrong. Yeah. Um, so, the first main plot point is that the Enterprise receives a, discre- a distress call from a non-Federation shuttle, and they raise it on the view screen, and they see that there is a shuttle being chased by another ship um, and they are attempting to attack this said shuttle because the enterprise has received a distress call. They are obligated to respond. So Pike hails the attacker just, and basically says, you know, Hey, what's going on here? We're just making sure everything's okay. And the, the ship that's pursuing the, yeah, we get an indication pretty early that this ship doesn't have a, a terribly high level of technology because they've grabbed the other ship with some chains. Oh, really? I totally missed yeah, that. They literally shot like a harpoon at the other ship with chain, you know, and attacked attached to it with a chain. Oh, interesting. The, uh, the pursuing ship actually turns and attacks the enterprise. And, uh, I think it's, uh, Ortegas mentions that it does 002 the shields are down 0.02% or something. So it's basically just a tiny, tiny scratch, a mosquito, uh, you know, bite out of. Uh, so the enterprise it's, is clearly it, not. It's actually not Ortegas. It's, it's someone that I, I think we've seen her before. Um, it is uh, Officer Mitchell. Okay. Um, and I think we've seen her on the bridge before, but I don't think she's had lines before this episode. I did make note that there was somebody new on the Enterprise that we, yes, right, or new on the bridge, yeah. But And I don't think she's named in the episode at all. 
I don't no, think they there, ever I refer to her. I think there is her. one scene later, because I do remember. Okay. Yeah, because if I look at the transcripts uh, later in the episode when they deploy the tractor beam, Pike says Mitchell deploy a tractor beam. So okay. Anyway, it's not important. Let's use a new character. Um, so the the ship actually makes a run at the Enterprise. Um, it continues to fire at them. Uh, Pike tells them basically to you know fire back, but don't do any major damage. Just let them know that we're not going to just take this sitting down. And uh, apparently the shuttle like kind of zigs right at the wrong moment, right as their Enterprise is firing and ends up basically destroying the entire shuttle that was pursuing them. Yeah, it's it's not completely destroyed, but it's damaged significantly. They were trying to just fire a warning shot, basically, and it ends up blowing half the ship off. So, right. Oops. Whoops, are bad. Yeah, right. Um, So the the. The shuttle that was being pursued has been heavily damaged, so they beam the survivors to the Enterprise so they can get medical care. Um, And in the transporter room, as the survivors beam in, uh, is a good-looking red-headed lady, and and Pike kind of does a double-take, and he he says, Alora. So clearly, uh, Pike knows who this person is. Yeah, and he's, he's clearly extremely smitten. He's like, oh yeah, right. He's, he's, in, completely, he's in a fog completely. He's he's, yeah. he's completely gobsmacked. He doesn't know what to do or right. what to say, which is very uncharacteristic yeah. for for Pike because he's very charismatic. And speaking of which, um, I want to go back a little bit. We we started the episode with Pike with a lot of levity. Uh, one of our first scene with him, he's in uh, the turbo lift with Uhura, and they're discussing her rotation yes. with with Luan. Um. She's in security, and uh, she her shoulders are hurting from combat training. And he tells her to, you know, it's what is it? It's lesson lesson one of security that she's she's sore from. He tells her to, you know, watch out for lesson seven. And uh, she gets really look, looks very concerned. Asks him what lesson seven is, and he he opts not to tell her. He makes a little, uh, you know, quiet gesture with his, you know, zips his lips, and and they get off the turbo lift. Uh, and then. Um, when, so if, if if just real quick, so if you remember in the last episode, Uhura was she was rotating through engineering. She was working with Hemmer. So right. now in this episode, she's rotating through security and working with Laon. Yeah, so she's she's getting her uh, her taste of each department as she goes through. So, um, and Luan clearly has uh, a a regimen of these lessons she's imparting on people. So, yes, um, and and Pike knows them. So she's been doing this for a while, apparently. Yeah, it's uh, almost it's a kind of a source of comedy for the crew. It's it's the the crew doesn't right. take it nearly as seriously as Luan does. Yeah, they're they're all uh enjoying watching Luan put Uhura through her paces. Uh and then uh, there's a moment when they first uh when they first get contact from the shuttle, uh and Pike uh orders uh, the ship to to approach. Uh he says, um, you know, Erica, take us closer which I thought was interesting instead of, you know, he's on the bridge acting as captain of the enterprise, but he's not referring to Ortegas by, you know, Lieutenant or officer or, you know, Mr. Ortegas or whatever he calls her Erica. So he's, he's clearly very laid back in command. That was the first time I think we've heard her first name. I mean, I guess other than the credits maybe, but I, I did note that too, that it did seem a little strange. It was very informal. Yeah. So he's, he's definitely the most, uh, the, the least 
militaristic of any of the Star Trek captains we've encountered before. I, I just, you know, uh, I can't picture, oh. I can't picture Picard referring to anyone by their first name while he's sitting in the captain's chair. I mean, he does if you know if he's talking to someone in ten forward or in his in his ready room or something. If it's one on one, he'll do that, but not in front of the whole crew, not on duty, right? So it 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 struck me. Yeah, we see. So um, Pike flirts like super awkwardly with Alora. Um, I just I, I made note of it because again, he's such a charismatic character, and he he's rather unflappable most of the time. Yeah, but he sees he, this he's lady. He's a thirteen-year-old boy immediately. He starts. Uh, he yeah. almost gets giggly and telling her that he's a captain now and. Oh, that's right, because she calls him a lieutenant, and he was like, well, actually, I'm a captain, right? Well, she says, she says his uniform looks different. He's like, oh, well, you know, she says, yellow looks good on you. He says, oh, well, you know, actually, it's gold, because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a captain now. Yes, yeah, so um, after their awkward flirting, um, so there's, there's a – they beam a woman, they beam uh, a man, and then a young boy, and the young boy is holding an ice pack to his head. And the the father, or I think they 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 clarify. I think Pike says, "Oh, are you this boy's father?" And he's I don't remember exactly what he, he says. says. Only in a biological sense. Yes. So, um, but the the father does ask to go to sick bay because he wants to get this this young boy checked out. Um, the the litany takes place. Uh, I did note that it takes place at five o two in this episode. So this is uh, compared to the last episode, we are fifteen minutes in. This one had a much shorter introduction. Yeah, this is about where you'd expect it to right. happen. Right. Right. Yeah, I, last time we were a third of the way into the episode before it hit. So, uh, um, you know, another sign that you know this. While this is definitely sticking closer to the original Star Trek formula, uh, you know, it's still a streaming show, and they can get away with some changes to format that previous shows didn't. So this well, one has. You know, yeah, they can they can afford to put the litany and the credits wherever they want in the episode. Whereas they're not beholden to commercial breaks exactly every yeah 15 on minutes. broadcast TV they uh-huh. have to do it before the first commercial break. Um, okay, and uh, the other thing is they can do variable runtimes. So the the runtimes on these episodes are all over the place, which is great. They get to do the runtime that the story needs and not have to do exactly forty two minutes. Yeah, you don't have to cut out exactly two minutes and 30 seconds to make it work so you have enough time for commercials. Yeah, so. We see, um, uh, we we cut to Ubenga, and he is in sickbay, and he is reading um, a book to his daughter. He's taken her out of the pattern buffer, and he is reading her um, a book. Um, it's the same book that he's been reading her for quite a while now, and it actually comes up later, so just... Make note that he is reading her this fantasy story. Yeah, it's, it's clearly some kind of fairy tale with a dragon and all kinds of stuff. But she complains that he's reading the same chapter as last time. Right. And he was like, well, it's hard to keep up because, you know, time is not changing for you, but it is for me. Um, so right about then, the the kid and his father walk in and, and they make mention that the, the boy has minor head trauma. And... They have the doctor and uh, Chapel check him out, and actually, um, the dad is like super duper protective of the kid, and he actually um, has some own. He just he, all he wants them to do is just scan this kid's head. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to give him any medication. You don't like. I'll take care of it. Um, yeah, I think Chapel goes to you know to repair the the minor head trauma that he's got with 
um, she says the subdermal scalpel, I think is what she describes mm-hmm. it as. And he says something like, you know, get that, you know, butcher knife away from my kid. Yeah, that medieval d- instrument. Yeah, it's like this very rudimentary. Yeah. So what what comes up is they, they scan the boy's head and the, the father basically says, um, I just want to make sure that his quantum bio implants are functioning. And uh, Ubenga kind of gets a little taken aback. He says, wait a minute. It, you know, and they have a conversation about what that is and what that means. And basically, um, they this boy has um, some sort of quantum implant in his brain that it, I don't know if it does or it accelerates his natural healing, but it uh, it automatically regenerates tissue, which is part of the reason that they didn't want Chapel to do anything because the boy would heal on his own, given that these implants were functioning, which they were. Yeah, we we use some some Star Trekky techno lingo, but you know all we need to know is that the boy's got implants that heal him from any disease. Yeah, I think at one point because it it piques Ubenga's interest because he is he clearly he has a daughter. The ramifications of yes. what this technology could do very quickly. Yes. At one point, I think um, the dad actually, or no, it's Ubenga says that you could eliminate disease and suffering almost entirely with these quantum bio implants. So yeah, the, the, the wheels are turning that there is no disease uh, on their planet. Yeah, essentially the the planet that they are from is is largely a utopia. So we and see um go ahead. That, that's our first sign that there's going to be a catch. <laughs> right. Every, every Star Trek utopia has some kind of catch. So we'll see what this one is. Um there is a quick uh Ready room debrief um, between Alora and uh, Pike, and she is basically talking about how important this little boy is. Um, she says that the first servant is a very special child. So the the boy's I don't, I don't I guess it's his title. It's not his name. Is the first servant, and she mentions that they were on a retreat on I believe it was on an asteroid. Um, they were on a retreat so that the first ter- servant could study his duties. So this um, young boy is not just a kid. He's, uh, I would say, like a religious figure. And he also, he has he has a job to do. He's not just a, a regular 13-year-old boy who collects Pokemon cards and plays Fortnite kind of thing. Yeah, we get the sense he's like a, a child emperor kind of thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, Alora mentions, uh, I think Pike asks, you know, why, why would any idea why you were being attacked or who these people were? Um, and Alora suggests that perhaps they were attacked because they were after a ransom. They wanted to kidnap this child emperor, the first servant. Um, and that there, there was a, there's a nearby planet that they are sort of rivals with. And she suspects that perhaps maybe they were uh, attempting to kidnap the boy, uh, to use him for ransom. Yeah. And we get a close up on Pike at this moment where I, I, my interpretation of his body language is that he doesn't quite believe this or he, he senses that she's holding something back or not telling the whole truth. He just looks at her. He looks at her a little funny, like really like that's okay. That that's, that's what we're going with. All right. Well, I don't know any better, so I'll go with it for now. But he, he looks like he doesn't quite buy that. Well, he's right. Cause the yeah. whole thing is sketchy. <laughs> So the uh, Enterprise crew decides that they are going to investigate the um, the pursuing ship because they have attacked this ship and uh, it is incapacitated. So they're going to see if they can um, 
get any information um, from that ship. They and I did note that this the shot while they investigate this ship, they kind of cut a hole in the you know the metal and and you know break into the ship essentially. But it's 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 ninety degrees off, so it's rotated. Yeah, it's it's very weird. And then once the characters come on screen, then it slowly rotates so that they are you know horizontal or whatever. Yeah, we're having it was some fun a, with the camera. It was a cool looking shot, but I was trying to figure out, I'm like, are you trying to tell me something with this? Like, why? No, no, they were just having a, you know, they're doing some some movie magic just to okay. make it interesting to watch, which is nice. I mean, if you just get, you know, the same camera angle for every shot, it gets a little, right, a little boring. Um, so, uh, Uhura and Laan basically do a a quick, um security pass through the ship just to make sure there's nobody on board and there's no traps or whatever. At one point, Laon uh, chastises Uhura for um, touching uh, some sort of panel. And she says, no, 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 let your tricorder do the scanning. You know, anything could be a trap. Anything could set this off. So, <laughs> yeah. so but, she only, she only says it after she like watches Uhura go up to this thing and touch it and then says, okay, that's the next lesson of security is don't touch things. Use your tricorder. You could have maybe t- if if you're really worried that there's going to be a deathly booby trap that she's going to spring, maybe tell her that before she touches it. Yeah. Also, when you're not standing like eight feet away. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, they do get the all clear. They don't find anybody on the ship. So they, they message Spock and Allura, who I, I guess were standing outside. I don't know. They, they uh, arrive shortly thereafter and they continue to explore the ship and see if they can. I think the ramification is that they they beam down first, uh, clear the scene, and then they have the rest of the officers beam down, which makes sense. That's a really good security protocol. It makes you wonder why Starfleet seems to have abandoned that protocol later on when the away team just all comes down at once every day. Right. Um, so Spock and Allura show up, and they are investigating, you know, if there are any wreckage on the ship, if there's anything that would indicate, you know, perhaps why they were being pursued or who was it. Um, Alora kind of leans down and gets down on one knee and she finds an oath coin. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, looks like a quarter or something. And she mentions that it's the highest of the Magellan uh, military honors. So there, there is a, essentially an upper crust of the, the military or the, the, the monarchy protectorate. And he may have betrayed his oath if his coin is here. Yeah, they they also find you know some object that they're not able to identify. Um, Allura says she doesn't know what it is. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm merging names together now. Allura, not Allura. Um, we have Laon, Una, and Allura in this episode. That's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Allura says she doesn't know what that object is, um, and seems to be telling the truth, uh, particularly since she does identify the coin. Um, but. It's very clearly a uh, scalp massager that yeah, they have repurposed. Right. It <laughs> so, looks like definitely something that would go over your head, and none yeah. of them seem to p- pick that up. So uh, in in st- true Star Trek tradition, we're taking some kind of mundane object and repurposing it. Like uh, Jordy LaForge's visor in the first, right. I think, two seasons of Next Generation was a like big hair clip that they mm. just spray-painted gold. Um and this is clearly like a some kind of like sharper image scalp massager yeah, that they've right. painted silver and put some LEDs on. So, uh, Alora, Alora, after seeing the uh, coin, 
and making mention of, you know, its heritage, she gets a little concerned look in her face and she realizes that perhaps maybe they are all at risk now because this means that one of the, the her top guards has, you know, maybe shifted allegiances. So she is, she is now concerned. And, um, I think Pike offers to keep her on the enterprise to keep her safe while they investigate and they figure out, you know, a little bit more about this coin. Yeah. And she says, basically, I, I don't have time for that. I've got duties down on the planet. I need to attend to, I have to go back. And he says, well, we'll send an, we'll send an attachment of armed guards with you. And she says, no, 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 like, you, you, we can't do that. We're a very private people. Outsiders aren't welcome. Uh, or foreign representatives, I think is what she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, well, what about friends? You can have friends, right? Uh, and then it cuts, you know, it jump cuts to a scene of the, sh- the shuttle going down. So clearly she's agreed to let a friend come along. But, um, yeah, it was a little strange. Like, hey, no, you, I, we can't allow outsiders on the surface. Oh, but you can have visitors, right? Oh, yeah, and that's no problem. Come along. Especially, it, it, especially like armed security visitors. Right. I mean, I get I get her saying like, yeah, we can't have the Federation send this official like armed regiment down to the planet surface. But you'd think she might have offered up like, yeah, but I can I can bring a guest down. with you. I can have a plus yeah. one. Right. It's right. <laughs> so uh, that is indeed what happens is you see Alora and Pike down on the Majalis. And it is very clear that Alora is a is a high muckety muck on this planet. She is, she has her place among the hierarchy as a high ranking you know politician probably. Um, but yeah, she's, she's got an attendant that's walk. You know, her scheduler is kind of following her and telling her what her day portends, and she's got a full plate. She's a very busy lady for sure. Yep. So um, Alora, actually, they, they, there's a scene with Alora and the, her guards. Um, and she has all the guards uh, down on their knees. I think there was six of them. And she asks them all to reaffirm their oath. Yeah, um, before they go in with the guards, uh, there's a, a quick aside with Pike. She says, you know, yeah, I've got my guards assembled. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address them. And he says, okay, you're shaking the tree to see what comes out. And she says, yeah, basically that's my plan. And then as they're walking into the room together, we see that Pike has his phaser on him. And he flips it on before they go in. So he's expecting trouble. And apparently her plus one can come armed. Yeah, if you think that if she's, you know, a high muckety muck, you know, if she's, I don't know, a senator or whatever, and she shows up at these official briefings with somebody that, you know, nobody on this planet knows who Pike is. And, And again, and he's armed. I mean, that'd be like a senator taking like a plus one to Congress. And he's got like clearly has a sidearm. Has like, arm, everybody's yeah, like, yeah, sure, no big deal, right? Yeah, it, I think they yeah would have created some comment beyond what we get. But anyway, yeah, then then we go in. We've got the scene with the guards where they're all kneeling in a ceremony. So she goes down. She asks each of the guards in turn to reaffirm their oath um, again, trying to ferret out if there's somebody who's flipped sides. Um, oh, and she asks each one of the guards to show their oath coin, the one that she had found on this. Uh, the one that she had previously found on the attacking ship. Um, and one of the guards whose name is Kier, K-I-E-R, um, he has a coin and it has a big scratch on it. And she makes mention of that. She says, oh, what happens to what happened to your coin? And he essentially just gets up and runs out of where they are. Yeah. And the other guards pursue him and he just immediately turns around and just straight up vaporizes one of them. 
Yeah. So these stabs, they have are pretty deadly. And um, yeah, she notices the case. They, they have a medallion they're wearing, basically, that has their coin inserted into it. And she meant she notices that the casing on his medallion is damaged as if, you know, so he like he pried the coin out, basically. Um, oh, is that what you like? He had replaced yeah. her coin because his but was left got, on the ship. Right. But he's got okay. another one. So that kind of made me wonder, like, where I, I mean, I guess they've got technology and he can have one made. But it seemed odd that he was able to get another coin. But oh, well, he's got he he sent his coin as a token of his his loyalty to whoever he's decided to betray these people for. And now he's replaced it. But he scratched up the dang case, man. You got to it's those details. They're going to get you. Oh, I didn't even. Th- so you think he sent it to those other people as like a sign that he's on I their guess, side? Or he was the or uh, yeah, or, or I guess um, I just assumed he dropped it. But I guess it makes more sense that he would actually send it no, them. no, yeah, no. I guess that makes more sense because they mentioned they said something like, oh, you were on the ship once they anyway. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Once they they catch him, uh, they say he must have been on that shuttle that crashed. Uh, and and then before they all beamed out. So I guess the implication is his coin, he had scratched it up himself. It got damaged uh, in the crash. He replaced the coin because it was scratched up and he wanted to blend in again. But they noticed damage to the machine. Anyway. Oh, I like your definition better. Like it's a, here's a sign of my. Yeah, uh, maybe. All right. Either way. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so he vaporizes the guard and then runs out into the gardens. They kind of have like a hedge maze and, and they run through the garden. And and um, I, I have to say either, you know, it's either incredibly good green screen, uh, but I don't think so. I think this was a, uh, you know, a, a, an outdoor set. It I think sure they, looked they sh- realistic to me. It was. Uh, yeah, I think they shot this somewhere in some real garden. And then obviously they're going to have CGI backdrops and stuff, but the, it looked like a real set. One of the you know, f- more fancy, large outdoor sets we've seen in a Star mm-hmm. Trek show that I can remember. I so mean, you, we get like, you know, the crew goes to Rigel or something previous right. shows, but it's all just like a matte painting they're standing in front of or something. Yeah. So no, it was pretty cool to see them use uh, a pretty large outdoor set. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was well shot too. He does. Kier yeah. does some kind of like um, some dodging. He he takes out a couple guards. Every Everyone's chasing him now. Um, ultimately, uh, Pike is the one who catches him. Pike just straight up like front tackles him. He clotheslines him. Uh, Yeah. And my first thought as I'm watching this scene is like, man, these guards are crap. Yeah, they are terrible. (laughs) Like, these are supposed to be the best of the best, and he's just mowing them all down like they're just rag dolls. (laughs) Like, so I guess he's he's very well trained in hand-to-hand combat, and the rest of these guys... Just skipped that. Apparently, maybe they're all political appointees or something. But they are—they well, are not, crap guards. Not Pike. Pike takes him out nope. like a yep, like a boss. Of course, Pike is the hero, so so he P- gets the victory punch. Yes, Pike tackles him and then pulls his phaser out, basically to hold him, keep him from running some more. Um, yeah, he he says it's not on stun. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great line. So uh, Kier grabs Allura and holds a knife to her throat. You know, he's still, you know, in fight or flight mode. He's still going to try and run or do something. Yeah. I, I do have a question, though. Why is it not on stun? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, because, yeah. I mean, again, he's a he's a guest on this planet. You don't just want to be executing. And you want to interrogate guards. this guy. Huh. So why on earth wouldn't you just stun him? That That's. You know, I guess it's it's more dramatic that way. But yeah, I think it's that probably bugged me. Yeah. Okay. 
I did think it was interesting because after after Kier grabs Alora and holds a knife to her throat, she doesn't even really hesitate. She just like full on like judo flips him over her front, the front of him, you know, and onto this gravel. Yeah, they, she, they, she's got serious moves. So yeah. I don't know why the guards didn't get some training time with her because she's really badass. Yeah, she like again, she didn't hesitate at all. She was just like he holds a knife to her. She grabs him, flips him over. They fall on top of each other, and ultimately his knife ends up, you know, getting crushed between them, and and he dies from getting flipped over by Alora. Yeah, I mean she, so, she she takes him out like a boss. So yeah, we've got Pike and Alora both uh, a plus on hand to hand combat. We see a quick scene with Spock in sick bay with um, the first servant's father. He mentions um, the yeah, it's the head massager thing they found on the shuttle, um, and they've done some research and they've determined that it is a neural dampener, and so they are suspecting now even more that this might have been a plot to kidnap the first servant, like they were going to um, use this on him to dampen his um, signals, his neural signals, so they couldn't hone in on him if they were to kidnap him. Um, there's a kind of a back and a forth between the first servant and Spock. They have a whole discussion about, I think it was about the speed of light. And uh, I'm not sure how old this kid is supposed to be like, you know, probably nine or 10, but the, the notes that I wrote down was that the first servant is a huge nerd. Like he's got, he knows math and science and he was really going to town with Spock. Yeah. And he basically, he asks, he's asking him some questions about sublight communications and then kind of is incredulous that they, they're able to use this, you know, antiquated technology, basically. He says, right. uh, you know, that with it, you know, it speeds that, you know, speeds that slow, the signal would degrade after several light years. And, you know, that's, that's not, you know, you should use this other signal I've come up with. Yeah. And Spock says, I do not know many your age who grasp radio polarization. <laughs> So yeah, like, Spock was very impressed. Yep, for sure. Um, and I, I, the the first servant offers to uh, whip up a transmitter by uh, reconfiguring the bio bed he's sleeping in. <laughs> right. Uh, and Spock says that would be an impressive feat, but he doesn't think Doctor Mbenga would approve. For sure. Uh, the next thing we see is um, Laon and Uhura are in what I assume is ten forward. I mean, it's kind of the common... The, yeah, it's the mess hall or whatever yeah. it is. Um, and Laon has some gadgets that she found at the crash site. Um, well, first we see Uhura is just wolfing down a meal. She's just shoveling these noodles into her mouth as fast as she can. And uh, we get an appearance by Sam Kirk again, mm -hmm. who uh, has been missing for a few episodes. But he shows up um, and says... Uh, you know, hey, uh, you're allowed an hour break. Like, you don't have to wolf that food down. And uh, Uhura says, you know, I don't think Laon, you know, really believes in breaks. Um, and, uh, you know, so I got, I got to hurry up. And he says, well, you know, you should tell her, you know, you're entitled to an hour. <laughs> and uh, Uhura says, well, will you talk to her for me? And at this point, Luan walks up and he says, you know, yeah, I'm not going to put my head in the lion's mouth. Sorry. <laughs> he just... He bails the second Laon shows up, so he nopes out of there pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. So he's he's uh, he's willing to give some advice, but not stand up to Laon. And uh, I think this was you know more of a hey, remember Sam Kirk? Here he is, and then off mm -hmm. he goes. So, um, 
Lon does mention that she has some gadgets from this crash site, but she doesn't know exactly what they are. They have some sort of language written on them, um, and she would like to know more about them. But because they are contraband, Laon is not supposed to have taken um, anything from the crash site. So they are considered contraband, so she can't use the computer system to, to translate them. So Uhura being a linguistics expert, she says, hey, you know, maybe this is something you can look into since it's not official. Yeah. Except we took the coin and the neural dampener from the crash site. So, yeah. Well, I kind of assume like that was like the official record, you know, like that was entered into, you know, we confiscated these, but Laon maybe put these in her pocket for some reason instead of yeah. going the official route. I don't know. That's not important. Um, so. We, yeah, she basically uh, says, hey, you're a linguist, like get to work. And Laon is like, oh, my God, like this is this is a big job. Uh, or no, uh, sorry, Uhura says. Oh my god, like this is going to take a while. Like I'm going to have to go through this like line by line basically and it's like, "Well, you're a linguist, right? Like get to work." And just leaves her there with them. So um we cut to uh, sick bay real quick and we see Ubenga is talking to um the first servant's father and he asks about uh I think it's cytokemia if I remember right, uh, is the disease that his daughter has. And he's basically asking about, you know, what do you know about this? Is this something that you could, um, that you're, you have the technology to cure. You know, clearly he's looking for some assistance with his daughter. And the, the father basically says, you know, we don't accept outside influence. We don't have an alliance with the Federation. So, uh, sorry, dude, you're on your own. Yeah. It was really kind of cold. I, I noted that it was just like, he shoots him down. Like he doesn't offer like, you know, here's, here's a pamphlet on, you know, some technology or here's maybe a couple places you could start looking. He's just basically like, mm, we're yeah, kind of we a solitary race. We do. Sorry. But then at the end, he says something along the lines of, but you, you know, you never know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll ally with the Federation in the future and then we could share technology. So he, he does, he, he, you can see like a little crack in the facade of Elder Gamal. He kind of he kind of he says his spiel about yeah you know sorry tough luck and then he kind of his face softens a little bit and he says but you know we, who knows maybe we'll we'll ally and then we could share and Umbenga has a look like okay well you didn't give me anything there but I appreciate that at least you're not just telling me to get lost. We see Pike and Allura. Um flirting after the attack a little bit. Um, she is happy that Pike saved her and Pike is happy that she's alive. Um, so they continue their weird little flirting. They, they kiss real quick. Yeah. Although, you know, Pike didn't really save her at all. She, 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 she took she, care of business. Um, we see, uh, she, she offers that Pike can come, um, with her, you know, on Majal's instead of going back to, the Enterprise, and we see a quick cut of uh, Pike shirtless in Alora's bed. Um, well, yeah, he says he says that he can bring some guards down, uh, and um, she's again. She says, you know, no, you can't bring guards onto the planet. He says, you know, well, I could, you know, I can stand out here. Then basically, she says, well, you could come inside if you want. So yeah, and then yep, we we cut to uh, 
they've been they've been having a, another, another another very uh enthusiastic cuddle session i'm sure right. that's all it was because yes starfleet doesn't have time and i didn't um and maybe you can help explain this to me though pike has a line while they're discussing here where he says it's rare to know what's in your future and then he proceeds to tell her about the premonition that he's seen about his accident coming. But I didn't fully understand, like, what preceded him to say it's rare to know what's in your future. Uh, was, I mean, I think I, I were they I, was she talking about like the the I, I thought that that was ascension? her line, but maybe I'm wrong. You've got the transcript, right? Was that yeah. was that her line or his? Anyway, I, I, I thought I it was know. her line. She I, I, says something along the lines of, you know, yeah, it's re- we don't really know what the future is going to hold. And he's like, well, I do, actually. Um, and he insists that, yeah, in 10 years, there's going to be an accident that doesn't end well for him. And she says, how can you know that? And he just says, I know. Um, and she seems to accept that at that point. Um, although I would want more details if someone was telling me they knew their future to a certainty. I'd be like, okay, well, how? <laughs> but... Yeah, he, he, he doesn't offer that up. She just accepts that he knows. and But he is very forthcoming with this. There's only there's very few people that know about his premonition. Yeah, clearly this is she. He has a lot of trust in her because he hasn't shared this with anyone other than Una, as far as I know. And he does tell doesn't he tell Spock? Does he? OK, I'm trying to. It's, but anyway, the point is, is that it's not it's not common knowledge. So no. So Pike basically says, you know, hey, I've got this, you know, I got 10 years and something bad is going to happen. And Allura says, well, you'd be welcome here. So she's again offering like, hey, you can stay and live with us in this utopia, right? So yeah, like, and he seems he seems hesitant, like, yeah, I just don't know if like that's what I want to do, um, which I understand. You know, he's captain of the Enterprise. He wants to do his thing. But man, in 10 years, like you could just say, OK, well, hey, yeah, sure. In 10 years and this accident happens, then I'll I'll come live here because if the alternative yeah. doesn't. What do you got to lose at that point, man? So I'm not sure why he isn't all in on that. But well, like Laura, like multiple times is trying to get Pike to stay and hang out like she she wants a relationship with this guy. Like she's putting the full court press on him. But I wrote down, but Ubenga can't even get like like a medical tricorder or like some information on cytokemia like. The other, no. the, the, yeah, Elder Gamal, like, shut him down super fast. But Alora's like, hey, you know what? Whatever you want. Like, we're here for you. Well, but she she does mention that um, he, she says, oh, well, you know, our medical technology could handle, you know, this cellular degeneration you're going to have. We could fix that no problem. And then she says, oh, but you'd have to be one of us. Right. So it is the same thing. Basically, um, Elder Gamal told Mbenga, yeah, we can't share our technology with outsiders. You'd have to be a I can't remember what what's the name of this planet again. The Majalis. Majalis. Yeah, you'd have to be a Majalin for us to to share our medical technology with you. And Alora is basically saying you can become a Majalin. You oh, can she's saying your, you can. Uh, okay. But Ex- I think the implication is basically yeah. But then you're you're here to stay. Okay. You're not going to just come for a, a couple of weeks and hang out with me and get the procedure and then go. You're going to move here permanently. We see that Uhura has translated these gadgets. She presents the information to La'an, and um, she went above and beyond. Like, she translated them. She cross-referenced them. She did a bunch of research to figure out, like, the roots of these languages. Um, And she says, okay, La'an, here you go. You can go take this to the Captain Pike now. And uh, 
Laon like defer. She was like, no, no, you did all this research. You should go tell him. Right. Which, which is nice of her. But at, at first, Uhura says, okay, I did this massive translation job by hand for you. And here's what they say. And Laon says, oh, okay. So you just did exactly what I expected you to, yeah. you know, you did exactly what I asked of you. So no, I don't give you any props for that. I asked you to do this. You did it. You did your job. Good for you. You're not getting any kudos. And then Uhura says, well, no, actually, I went beyond that, and here I, I did the roots of the language, and, and I've got some big information for you. And then La'an is grudgingly impressed and, and then says, yeah, you should go present this to the captain yourself. So, yeah, La'an's tough tough to please. You, yeah, you, for sure. Got, if she asks you to do something that's really tough and you come through, that's not good enough. Uh, so ultimately, that's what happens is we see Uhura, Una, Laon, and Pike and, and Spock actually on the bridge going over this translation that um, Uhura has come up with. And they basically determine that these artifacts have the language is extremely similar to Majalan, but not Majalan. So they have the same roots. So what they're able to determine is that there was essentially an offshoot from Magellan that went and uh, started their own colony, I guess. Um, and they it's called Prospect 7. And uh, one of the, the quotes was, um, why would anyone leave paradise for Prospect 7? So there's, uh, again, they're hammering home the idea that Majalis is essentially perfect and there's, and there's no crime, there's no disease, there's no, like... There'd have to be a pretty good reason for somebody to want to leave and go start their own um, colony. Yeah, it's, I guess. it's very fishy. Like, why? Why do these people want out of paradise? Right about then, I believe uh, Pike gets a an emergency alert that um, someone is attempting to beam out. Um, so they, uh, uh, Pike. Well, uh, yeah, Umbenga calls and says, "Hey, Captain." Oh, um, that's what it was. Yes. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got an issue. Uh, Elder Gamal and the first servant just left sickbay. I couldn't stop. Right, and so uh, Pike immediately uh, enables red alert, and uh, they run to the transporter room, um, and they get there just in time, and they see the Elder Gamal and the first servant, and uh, and then he beams out, and Pike kind of looks over at Kylie. He's like, "What are you doing? You can't beam him out." He was like, "Dude, that wasn't me. Somebody else." beamed them out. So uh, back on the bridge, they see a, a, a shuttle. I, I don't know if it's clear if it's the same shuttle from the opening, but there is a shuttle. Yeah, it looks it's the same kind of ship they destroyed in the in the opening scene. So um, they Pike, they're attempting to go to warp. So Pike doesn't want to fire on them. Um, so he uh, has has the Enterprise attach a tractor beam but that does not slow the shuttle down. Like they are going to continue to go to warp and they're going to, well, it does. It, it stops the shuttle. It's, it's not moving anymore, but then they announce, Hey, uh, it's still, it's still, they're trying to go to warp anyway, even though they were in this tractor beam. And it's, yeah. And it's going to, it's going to hurt both the enterprise and the shuttle if they don't disengage, because they are not backing down. So they, uh, well, my, my, my impression was the enterprise is going to be fine, but this ship could tear itself to pieces if it goes to warp while there it's in the tractor beam. They, um, this is Mitchell again, who says that their, their integrity is going to be compromised if they go to warp. And since the first servant is on this shuttle, Pike says, Hey, okay, then disengage. We can't risk any harm to the first servant. 
the line is the stress is creating a catastrophic strain imbalance. I have to increase our structural integrity field. I assume she was talking about the Enterprise, but yeah, you're right. She probably was talking about the the shuttle. Oh, no, there there she's talking about the Enterprise. Like, hey, I've got to I've got to compensate for this to keep the Enterprise safe. But I mean, the Enterprise is going to be fine. But yeah, if this ship actually goes to warp while in the tractor beam, she says there's there's a very good chance it's going to tear itself apart. So they that's ultimately what they do is they so they decide to disengage the tractor beam so that the ship won't rip itself apart. Um, but it is alas, it is too late. The shuttle blows up trying to go to warp anyway. So the bridge crew is kind of shocked because they were just trying to do the right thing. And just as they disengage all is is, uh, you know, understandably uh, very shocked by this we see him look just absolutely devastated watching this shuttle blow so where where is so this is where i got confused because i thought elder gamal and the first servant beamed onto the shuttle they did uh and then pike says hey get them back and they transport elder gamal back but they're unable to transport back the first servant so who was on the so there was somebody else on the shuttle trying to go to warp because yeah yeah, the shuttle's okay. screwed by someone. I mean, it's, okay. it's folks okay. from Prospect 7 is our is what we're thinking at this point. Uh, the Elder Gamal and the First Servant get transported over. Uh, Pike says, get them back. They they transport them back, but only get Elder Gamal. They do not get the First Servant. Oh, I see. And okay. so then the First Servant's on the shuttle. They'll go to the bridge. They do the tractor beam thing. It blows up the shuttle. Elder Gamal then looks absolutely devastated watching the shuttle blow up. And then that's the end of the scene. So what we see next, and there's a couple rapid scenes here to basically cover what has just happened. Because at this point, uh, it appears the First Servant has died because he was on that shuttle when it blew up. So uh, Allura and Pike are having a discussion on the main view screen. Um, and she's clearly extremely upset that the first servant is dead. And her line is, the surface of our planet is nothing but rivers of lava and lakes of acid. We will be destroyed. So it's it's not clear exactly to the audience, and it's not clear to Pike either, what the first servant has to do with the planet. And the, yeah, and the, he says something along the lines of, you know, I, I understand that this had a lot of symbolic significance to your people, but I don't understand how one child can do, you know, the loss of one child is going to doom your civilization. It's mentioned that uh, Elder Gamal got some detailed bioscans from the sickbay computers to allow them to beam um, the First Servant and Elder Gamal out of the Enterprise without them being aware. Um, they just basically made mention that, that there's no way he could have done that unless he had detailed um, scans, and it's mentioned yeah, that so, he got them yeah, from the sick bay. Right. Well, when they when they get off with Alora, Pike you know, turns to the crew and he says, hey, can anyone explain to me how they were able to beam someone off of my ship? Right, and then it cuts to this conference room where they're they're having a discussion, and it's it's Uhura who's figured it out. Uh, she's she's you know uh, she's presenting some information. Uh, Elder, we kind of come into the middle of the conversation. We're we're going fast through this. Um, Elder Gamal says, you know that's that's insane. You know that's that's crazy. You can't prove that. And Laon says, no, no. Uh, Uhura is just using facts and logic and stepping through it. And then Uhura says, yeah, you know, the only way they could have done this is if they the only way they could have beamed someone off is if they were able to lock on extremely fast. And the only way they could lock on that quickly without us knowing they were doing it is if they had very detailed biological scans 
and I found that Elder Gamal accessed those scans right before they went to the transport. Uh, when Pike hears about this, he orders, or maybe it's Una, uh, they order Elder Gamal to put in the brig. Um, yeah, because while they're having this discussion, Spock calls him and says, hey, Captain, I've got something on Deck 17 you're going to need to see right away. So he basically says, all right, we're going to table this discussion with Elder Gamal, throw him in the brig for now, and I'll go see what's up with Spock. Um, ultimately, they find that the first servant is alive, and he is hidden on, you know, in a pod on the Enterprise, so he is not dead. Um, he was hiding. Um, so when they rescue... Uh, the first servant from this pod, he comes, they, you know, Pike lifts him out of this pod and he says he wants to go ascend ASAP. His, his goal, I need to get down to the surface. The ascension, you know, process is beginning. I need to get down there right away. Yeah. And Spock found him because he was sending out this subspace distress call. And Spock was, was monitoring that, that subspace channel that uh, the first servant had mentioned earlier in the episode that he made his own oh, subspace channel. Okay. Spock says, you know, I, I thought it was prudent to monitor that channel and found that, that he was sending this distress call from the, from the cargo bay. Um, so the implication here, uh, as far as I could tell, was that uh, Gamal and the first servant get beamed over to this shuttle, but almost immediately after that, the first servant beams himself back to the Enterprise. So he's okay. he's not only got this subspace transmitter, but he's rigged up a transporter too. Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, and that's why when they when they beam back, they try to beam back Gamal and the first servant. They only get Gamal because he's the only one who's on the shuttle at that. Point. Oh, I I will have to admit this was a flaw in the storytelling because that it piece, went fast. It went, went real fast. And came back was it was not clear. No, it wasn't. So um, this flew by real quick, and my guess is that most people watching the episode—God, that sounds like I'm—I understood what happened, but most people probably didn't because my superior intellect was able to pick up on it. Uh, You understood it better than I did. For whatever reason, I was able to follow it, but uh, it—it was—I—I had to go back and and I rewatched that that little bit just to, yeah, it wasn't clear. It it was—it happened very fast. It wasn't explained very well. I mean, all that's really important is just to know that the first servant beam somehow ended up in this cargo pod and didn't die. That's the important piece of information, and you know how we got there isn't super important. But that seemed to be the implication is that he was able to beam himself back to the Enterprise, but uh, not as not uh, Elder Gamal. Apparently, he was. <laughs> I got my 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 out ticket. I'm taking it. Good luck. Um, so uh, what we see next is Una and Elder Gamal in the brig, and Una is uh, kind of interrogating him about what the heck are you doing trying to kidnap this kid. He basically explains that he was working with the uh, quote-unquote bad guys from Prospect 7, and he was going to use the neural dampener to hide the brain signals of the first servant and basically help him escape. Yeah, he said it was to prevent him from, from ascending. Yeah, he goes on basically to explain essentially that ascending means that the first servant is going to die or he's going to sacrifice himself. Yeah, he says, I wanted to save him. So we're we're still not clear on exactly what he's trying to save him from, but he he clearly has, you know, and he says, it's my, I, I, I betrayed my most deeply held beliefs, but I just couldn't sacrifice my son, is what he says. Um, we see, so... 
Una, with this new information, wants to get this to Pike um, to fill him in on what is happening. Um, so at this point, uh, Pike, Alora, and the First Servant are down on Majalis. They and the uh, Ascension ceremony is well underway. It's a big deal on this planet. There's a bunch of people out there having a big party. She wants to beam down to talk to Pike, and um, they are unable to beam down, and, and they are also unable to message Pike. So he is cut off from the Enterprise, and he is not able to determine, or so Una is not able to give him this information. So um, Una's a little upset at this, but there's not a whole lot she can do. We see, uh, it is worth noting that Pike is the first outsider um, to be allowed to view this Ascension Ceremony. This is a big deal on this planet. This isn't something that just, you know, regular common folk get to attend, and certainly not outsiders. But because of Pike's relationship with Alora, she says, you know, sure, come and you can watch this Ascension Ceremony. It's going to be really cool. They're kind of in this weird kind of light-looking cave, kind of got some, like, Tron vibes a little bit from it. Yeah, um, the the first servant in particular, Pike, Pike looks seems a little uneasy at this point. I think it's sinking in for him that like there's there's something going on here. Like especially they talk about this ascension and like this this is a little weird. Uh, I'm not quite. He's getting some vibes here that he's clearly not super comfortable with. Um, but then the first servant specifically comes up to him and says, you know, Captain Pike, you know, come come with us. I want you to see my ascension. And so he's like, all right, well, the kid's into it. I guess I'll go along. Yeah, the kid's way into it. It's really a little yeah. bit creepy. Yeah. Um, ultimately, what ends up happening is that the guards, um, they they bring out like a kind of a cloth stretcher and they, they reveal that um, they pull the blanket back or whatever. And there is the corpse, like a desiccated corpse of the they, previous. They haven't even quite pulled it back. They're just, they're, they're carting this, this thing on a stretcher off the the first servant sees that and says oh god uh and then looks scared and you know he he's been all in on yeah it's my ascension let's do this and then he sees them carting off that yeah with what we then pretty quickly find out is this desiccated corpse and he's it shakes him he's like oh my god like what I, this is i don't know about this now he's he's clearly a little bit hesitant um because while while uh while they're carting off this corpse, um, Alora has kind of knelt down in front of him, and she's she's going through a ritual with him, asking if he freely, you know, sub, you know, freely agrees to be the first servant, and if he freely chooses to sacrifice himself for the good of all. Basically, she's got kind of a litany of things she's going through with him, and he's he's rattling off, "Yes, yes, I do." And then he sees them hauling off this corpse, and he. He stops. He doesn't answer that last whatever the last question is she asks him, he doesn't answer and just says, Oh God, as he sees this thing go by. Um and Pike goes to take a step forward and the guards block his path. Well, what so the her line right before that is I thought it was great, I wrote it down. She stands up because she wants to get the ceremony moving. So her line is he chooses it freely and we honor his sacrifice. Long live the first servant. And like you said, yeah, right about then, Pike realizes what's going to happen. Like, this kid is going to sacrifice himself for what? It's not clear, you know, does yeah. he have special powers? Like, how does, you know, again, we're talking about the rivers of lava and lakes of acid. So somehow 
this kid keeps that in check. So I think what's going through his mind is, oh, this is some sort of crazy ritualistic thing to, you know, appease the gods of this planet, which scientifically doesn't make any sense. So he tries to get involved. He's like, I'm going to save this kid, you know, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's one pike and like eight guards. But But, but, so he goes to take a step forward and, uh, Alora says, you know, they stop him and, and Alora says, no, no, it's fine. Like he can see. And so the guards then let him approach and he goes up to the stretcher and pulls back this shroud that's over this body and sees that it's this desiccated corpse of a child. Uh, and then says, you know, oh my God, it's a child. What are you doing? Um, and uh, at this point, the first servant runs up and jumps in the, the pod, basically, that they've got. So he does choose to go up there. No one forces him to. There's, there's a bit of a moment there where I'm like, okay, he's he's now hesitant. Alora is either going to have to talk him into it or they're just going to throw him in there against his will. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. But he does ultimately make the choice to get up there himself and, and hop in the chair. Um and then Pike tries to rescue him. Yeah, which is not not the best decision since yeah, there's like eight guards versus one Pike. Um, Pike, Pike does punch one of the guards, but ultimately he gets knocked out. Well, well, I was just gonna say this is these guards are crap. Yeah, right. He takes out like four of the eight before they subdue him. I thought he only punched one of them. Really, he took out four of them. I don't know how many it was. Anyway. But he, he's being held by two of them. He like judo chops both those guys down to the ground. And then charges up to get to the kid, and then one of the other ones knocks him out with his staff. But he he does very well against superior numbers before they take him out. Maybe when you live in a utopian planet like Majalis, you don't need to worry about Maybe. combat training. Like, again, they need, they need to have some, some morning calisthenics with Alora, because she knows what she's doing. The scene ends with uh, the first servant in this machine, I guess it is, and you see like these sort of weird tubes come out of this machine and go into his face, you know, sort of like kind of Borg-esque, like there's some tubes that feed into his body and yeah. the first servant it's, has it's, kind of this... It's very sinister, like these, they almost yeah. come like snakes. Like they're slithering around, it's not like just like these straight, like things, it, they're kind of like snaking around and then they jam into his face. It's 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 not a pleasant scene. It's And, and the first servant is, is he's scared, the look on his face is he's not enjoying this process no uh and then when they jam into his face you know there's a glow and his eyes kind of light up uh so he's he's now one with whatever this machine is uh but pike is knocked out so that's where that scene ends um and and pike wakes wakes up in allura's bedroom again and allura is still like kind of putting the moves on him or at least well she's she's trying to hey hey like hey it's it's okay like everything's fine he 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 kind of recoils from her and gets yeah. up out of the bed almost immediately and yeah so her plan was you know hey he's going to come witness this ascension and then you know maybe i can talk him into staying seems to be what her plan was i don't know where she got the idea that he was going to be down with this yeah well so i mean i think this is part of the the conversation i want to have so let's let's work through the scene and then we'll, sure. we'll talk about yeah, the, we'll the, the morality yeah. clause of it sure so uh pike wakes up in Alora's bedroom he's freaked out like what the heck you just sacrificed this kid she says no 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 it's okay we've been doing this ceremony forever this is part of the natural order of things Pike says, I don't care. I'm going to save that kid. Like, you guys are crazy. Um, Alora says, it's too late. If you pull him out of that machine, it will kill him anyway. Um, so Pike kind of accepts the fact that, okay, this this is the fate of this kid. He's going to be in this machine for however long to keep the planet functioning. 
Pike says, will he suffer? And Alora just says, yes. Yeah. So the, the whole foundation of Majalis and the reason that they have this utopian society is because the entire thing is based on the suffering of this child. Yeah. And Pike thinks that's horrific. He's, you know, what are you doing? Your society is based on suffering. And uh, Alora says, well, aren't there essentially aren't there poor kids, sad kids in the Federation? There's, you know, there's no kids going hungry. You know, we have a different type of suffering. You know, you you can't say that you that Federation is better because there is no suffering. Yeah, she basically says the the different the only difference is that we choose to look to look at it. We don't look away. And and she I think she also says that Majalis is a paradise because only one kid suffers versus, right. you know, in the in the Federation, how many kids are hungry or starving or whatever. Yeah. And she's, then they clearly know this isn't OK because she says that they've been searching for centuries for an alternative. Pike, she, she's trying to she's putting the, the full court press on Pike like this yeah. is just the way it's always been like, you know, it's cool. I really like you. I think you should stay here with me. She's trying right. to like, you know, smooth things over with him. Yeah, and, do you think and she says their their founders designed this to you know to run, you know, whatever this machine is that powers their civilization, their founders designed it to run off of the the brain of a child. They don't know why, and they've been searching for centuries for an alternative but haven't found one. And she tells him that uh in that original shuttle crash where they met the the reason she was up on that shuttle is they were doing research looking for some other way to to power this machine. Mm-hmm. So she's um, basically saying, yeah, we we you know I, we're not total monsters. We understand the moral implication of this. We just don't have a choice, and you know we're trying to find a way out of it, but we haven't yet. And you should just look past this and and live with. It. Uh, Pike not having it and I, this is kind of a boss move so she's still trying to like rationalize it to him she, she says I, up, I you know i i uh you know she's like i don't think you'll want to stay now but i hope you will and he just stands up pulls out his communicator and says number one do it and then he, yeah, he says now away. number he says now number one like no hesitation yeah and like they weren't in communication or anything he says now number one and she and then just immediately beams out of there like mic drop yeah um, so I guess the, the implication here is, I mean, this is, this is a religious ceremony. Now uh, say what you will about religious ceremonies, but if, I mean, there's all kinds of weird religious ceremonies on earth, you know, like where, you know, a lot of, you know, where animals are sacrificed or where, you know, so it seems kind of weird to me that Pike is super duper, uh, motivated to get involved in th- what is a religious ceremony and is going to have major, major diplomatic you know, ramifications. Oh, probably, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, that's basically the end of the episode, by the way, uh, we can get into our, our discussion of the, the morality here, but um, you know, Pike beams up and we see uh, Alora. Uh, she said, sheds a few tears for Pike leaving, but uh, that's it. And then um there's a quick scene with Elder Gamal and Ubenga, and Elder yes. Gamal has basically changed his tune a little bit now that he realizes that he couldn't save his son. He couldn't save the first servant. So he kind of has a, a small change of heart. And he says, you know, if I couldn't save my son, maybe I can sort of kind of help you save yours. He well, wants- he says maybe I, he's going to go to Prospect 7 now and live with these people. He says, you know, I, I, I thought they were traitors and fools, but now I see they, you know, they just couldn't bear to live with this hypocrisy, basically. And 
he says, I couldn't save my son, but maybe I can help save the next one. So they're going to try again. He uh, and he does give Ubenga like essentially some basic information on uh, cytokemia. Um, he says it's not a cure, but it may be a first step. So Ubenga now has at least a, he's got a some starting hope. point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and then the last scene we see uh, Pike just standing in his court in his dark quarters drinking. Yeah. And then looking out the window, uh, looking very forlorn. Yeah. So he's he's just sitting in the dark drinking some whiskey and that's it. That's the end of the episode. So am I wrong? It seemed it seemed weird to me that Pike was so quick to get involved in in a religious ceremony. Like I'm just thinking like the well, United States like here, here here's the thing though. I mean I mean this is going to be, you know, this is bias at work for sure, but it's it's one thing to accept that that kind of religious activity from a society that you consider inferior to you. It's another thing to accept it from this supposedly enlightened people that have advanced technology. Okay, sure. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's, I think that's why he's so outraged is that these, you know, these, they've got no excuse. They're, they're these enlightened people. And, um, and, you know, I don't think, I mean, there, there aren't, any large scale uh, religious sects on earth at this point in the year 2022 that do ritual sacrifice of any kind. I mean, maybe that's the difference. I guess the the only, the only, uh, you know, modern uh, analog that I can see is, is right now the world cup is going on in Qatar and and how many slaves were literally used to build this. I mean, they think they've said, well, that's the thing. If you want to, I wouldn't come at this from the religious aspect. It's, it's more just the morality of what, what, what kinds of sacrifices are you willing to make to to stand up your society and your and your your standard of living? And you know, Alora or Alora, you know, just drives the dagger home. She says, "Hey, don't stand there and tell me that there's no children suffering in the Federation. You guys just don't. You guys just choose to look away and enjoy this this you know uh, high tech way of life that you've got out gallivanting around the stars while there's there's children suffering somewhere in the federation and you just don't pay any attention to it we you know stare it right in the face and don't look away uh and she's got a point because yeah right now uh you know i'm gonna watch some world cup games in the next month there were there were some pretty serious moral implications to that tournament happening and yeah i'm gonna watch it anyway what does that say about me i don't know well, I mean, the other thing, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like the U.S. isn't over there, you know, invading or stopping Cutter from doing whatever they are, with, you know, all these no. slaves building this. Right. There's no, there's, but, there's but diplomatic we're implicit, we're implicit in it, though. Sure. So uh, I, I, I think com- it's in- sorry, complicit in it. I, I think it's interesting that that Pike was so willing to get involved in this when, you know, in, in the geopolitical right. politics, like. It's not so simple. Like, I mean, well, it's by, by personal just for can't... him because Alora is his potential, you know, I mean, she's asking him to, you know, join her and live with her and be in a relationship. So it's, it's personal to him. Yeah. Plus, he just watched this kid get killed in front of him. That's the other thing. Like, you know. Right. It's very fresh we, and raw. Again, her, I mean, she, Alora's got a point. Like, you and I can, you know, we know that there's there's tragedies and horrible things happening in the world right this second, but we can ignore it because it's not happening right in front of us. But Pike literally saw this kid get sacrificed. That's going to stick with you. 
I mean, right now we're recording this podcast using technological components that probably some kid in, was involved in manufacturing at some point. Yeah, good point. And we sit in, you know, relative wealth in the United States using this stuff while some kid out there is suffering and we accept that. You can't fight every battle, I guess. Is no, what... you can't. But, I mean, this was one that happened right in front of us. Yeah. So, okay. All right. All right. I'll buy that. I think we are, you know, again, we're using this, this, uh, we're, we're benefiting from uh, the suffering of others in our way of life in the United States. That's almost undeniable. But We're it's not ignorance. If, if if suddenly we walked into the factory floor where kids are, you know, sewing clothes with their teeth, we would probably be tempted to step in and do something. Hmm. It's it's different when it's right in front of you. Okay. It's not, it's not just you know, it's not just a a, a morality play at that point. It's not. It's it's, it's, it's not, not face list. It's not it has an actual question. face. Yeah, exactly. So, right. uh, no, this was this this episode asked some really hard questions and didn't leave the audience with any easy answers. So we've been we've been talking for an hour. You you got a rating? Uh, nine. This is the best episode so far. No, really, question. you you like this better than the last episode? Absolutely. This is wow. this is Star Trek, this is Star Trek at its best. Wow, it's okay. asking us some hard questions, and it's not. Prov- it's letting us sit with those questions. It's not giving us any easy answers. Uh, was was Alora right? Was Pike right? They're both right. Wow. Okay. I I really like this episode too. And, and like you said, you know, after hearing the summer the su- the summary at the beginning, like it doesn't it doesn't grab you. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. I'm going to give this one an eight just because this really had, it had one theme running through it. It was clearly there. There's not a lot of B plots in this. It's just, no, there's, there's no B plot in this, which is another, I think another reason I liked it so much. It's very focused. Sure. I, I, I think I gave the last one a nine. I can't remember. I liked the last one a little bit more just because there were a uh, several different plot points and they all tied together with the same theme. Um, this one is a great episode start to finish. It does ask really good questions, um, and the acting is good. We're introduced some, to some new characters. We get some great character development. We see Obenga move forward a little bit. We see Pike um, off his game a little bit, which is interesting to see because he's usually, mm-hmm. um, you know, so uh, buttoned up. Uh, yeah, I really like this episode. Great episode. Uh, I give it an eight. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, uh, this goes to a nine. Over, I, I gave the last one an eight. I'll give this one a nine. And just the, okay. re- the reason is mostly that B plot. Uh, the B plot with Una and Laon on the Enterprise last time uh, didn't really have anything to do with the Spock mm-hmm. to Pring, sure. uh, you know, main okay. story. This time we do have a bit of a B plot again with Uhura. Uhura and Laon, you know, doing her security training is kind of our B plot this time around, but it directly related to what was happening yeah. in in the main storyline. And and Uhura at multiple points was instrumental in figuring out what was going on with you know behind the scenes with all this subterfuge. So um yeah, I I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Again, I think this is this is classic Star Trek where it is using science fiction as a lens to look at issues in our everyday lives and make us think about things in a way that maybe we hadn't before. And that's the, that's when Star Trek's at its best. So yeah, this is a nine for me. This was fantastic. I can't think of a better way to end than that. So uh, we'll be back uh, in a week. All right. See y'all then. <laughs>